0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, welcome to the GCBC Podcast, a podcast for Gold Country Baptist Church, where we discuss with our leaders and members of the church the how and why of ministry in the life of our church. We pray it will encourage our spiritual growth for the glory of God. I'm your host, Corey Freeman, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about church history. Uh, You might be asking, wait, Corey, I thought we were going to be interviewing elders and deacons, and we will, but sometimes that takes a while. It takes a few weeks to get the schedule going, so between now and the next interview, which I hope to do very, very soon with one of our deacons, I want to talk about church history. Now... For many, I would assume, we don't study church history that often. I know for myself, I didn't really study church history until I went back to school. We know that probably in high school, the last time I actually took a history class, the teacher said, well, and we've all heard this, I'm sure, before, the reason we study history is so that we do not make the same mistakes as the people in the past did. And the same can be applied for church history as well. I think it's very important, but there's a lot more than just learning from the mistakes of our ancestors or the early Christian church. There's actually, I want to give 10 reasons why. And these 10 reasons do not come, this isn't something I made myself, it actually comes from a professor Nathan Booznets. He is a master seminary professor. He teaches uh, historical theology at the master seminary, and he's also the dean, uh, faculty, and the school's executive vice president. If you don't know the uh, master seminary, that's where Pastor Phil and Pastor Corey went to be trained. That professor gave ten reasons why we should study church history, and I want to read these ten reasons for you, so that way we can have a better understanding and actually have a better picture of what's the point of studying church history. So reason number one, because most Christians are clueless about church history. Most American evangelicals knew very little about the history of Christians. Even in reform circles, a knowledge of church history usually only goes back to the Reformation. But the history of the gospel spans back long before that. The 1,500 years between Pentecost and the Reformation include many significant people and events whom God used in strategic ways to advance his kingdom's purposes. The church today has a great deal to learn from the early church, and we do ourselves a great disservice if we simply choose to remain ignorant. Reason number two, because God is at work in history— Conversely, history is a testimony to God's sovereign providence. It really is his story referring to God, in the sense that everything is working according to his plans, and he is orchestrating all of it for his eternal glory. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. We also have Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, that says, "'Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other.'" I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Reason number three. Because Christ said he would build his church. To study church history is to watch his promise unfold. We read in Matthew 16, uh, verses 15 through 18. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bargina, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Ephesians 2.19-22 Because church history is our history as members of his body. When we study the history of the church, we are not merely studying people, places, and events, we are studying the history of the Bride of Christ, and we are part of that Bride. So when we are studying church history, we come to see who we are, where we've come from, and how we fit into the flow of God's kingdom work in the world. Jesus himself cares deeply about his Bride. Ephesians five twenty five through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be wh- holy and blameless. Revelation 19, verse 7 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Reason number five, because the truth has preserved and passed down through history. When we study church history, we not only confirm the fact that we believe today is what the apostolic church believed, but we also see how the truth has preserved throughout history. From Christ to the apostles, John 15 Verse 26 through 27, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceed from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. From the apostles to their disciples, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. To future generations of non-eyewitnesses, 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Reason number six, because just as we are encouraged by this history of truth, we are also warned by the history of error. The New Testament is full of warnings about false teaching, both refuting in the first century and warning that it would come in the centuries that followed. When we study church history, we not only learn the history of the truth, but also the history of error. We see that cults originated, and we have the benefit of seeing orthodoxy defended and the truth being preserved. Acts 20, verses 28-30, Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. First Timothy four, verse one, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience. As with a branding iron men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Reason number seven because we have much to learn from those who walked with God regarding faithfulness in spite of persecution. John 15 verse 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Number eight, because we likewise have much to learn from those who failed at various points. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. In church history, we see examples of all kinds of spiritual failure. There are those who fell into heresy, those who gave way to corruption, those who denied the faith, and those who fell morally. The lives of such individuals serve as a warning for us. Second Corinthians ten six through 12 says, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us immorally, as some of them did, and twenty-three thousand fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Number nine, because being faithful apologists often include being a good historian. The New Testament calls all Christians and elders especially to be able to defend the faith. Titus 1 verses 8 through 10 says, and an elder must be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. 1 Peter 3, verses 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. This defense is primarily built on the scriptures, but church history also serves as a valuable apologetic tool. For example... Knowing a little church history quickly silences silly allegations against Christianity, like those made by the Da Vinci Code. Knowing a little church history is especially helpful in witnessing to Roman Catholics, Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and members of other uh, Christian, so-called Christian cults. Knowing a little church history is even helpful in defending key areas of doctrine, showing that contemporary evangelical understanding of scripture has not deviated from the teachings of the apostolic church. Number 10, lastly, because history helps 21st century pastors have a right perspective about their own place in the church age. To realize that we are not first generation to get it right, and to remember that early generations of Christians, especially those of the first few centuries, lived much closer to the times of the apostles. Thus, we should treat their writings seriously and take the time to learn from them. To realize that we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves, our local congregation, or even the evangelical movement as it exists today. The history of Christianity spans two millennia, of which we are but a momentary blip. Also, to realize that what God is doing in the American church today is only a small part of what he has done in the world since Pentecost, and that he could just as easily work through another nation to reach the world. To realize that every generation of believers is greatly affected by the time and culture in which they live, such that they themselves do not even realize the effects, and then in turn, to ask ourselves what effect our culture has on our own application of biblical truth. And lastly, to remember that Christ is the Lord of the church in every age, and to remind ourselves of what a great privilege it is to minister in his service. So those were the 10 reasons from that sheet. But it is important. It shows that there is a importance. It's not a salvation issue by any means. But it is important to know at least a little church history. The last time I remember even studying church history, besides having to go back to school, was I remember watching the movie Martin Luther. I didn't know who Martin Luther was. I was 12 years old. But I remember my dad saying, when I was watching it with my family, saying, one day you will have a great appreciation for what Martin Luther did. For the entire history of Christians during that time. And I was like, oh yeah, whatever. This is a boring movie, I don't know. But now, seeing Martin Luther, not just Martin Luther, just to name a few. You have George Whitfield, you have John Calvin, you have Spurgeon. Of course you have Martin Luther. And there are so many, many more. Especially even in today, I mean, we can look at John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Mark Dever, and so many others that one day will die, just like us, but will have leave their mark under church history. And then one day, for the, however long, you know, a thousand years later, if the Lord doesn't return, people will look back to the teachings and realize the consistency of the Bible of true Christians. And again, I would encourage you to study even just a little bit Look up who George Whitefield was. You will have a great appreciation for his passion and preaching of the gospel. Look at Spurgeon and his studying of the word that help us to grow and more into the likeness of Christ. And look at Martin Luther challenging the Catholic Church in their teaching and starting a reformation, even though he didn't even know about it. And in conclusion, I want to read Ephesians 1, 22 verses 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This has been the GCBC Podcast. We'll see you next time.